on this episode of Why Watch That. After Moonlight, is it good to have Mahershala and Naomi back together again? You, you, and I, well, uh, yes. <laughs> okay, mean, I was on. like, well, uh, what, why are we thinking about this? What happens when they encounter a well-connected and suspicious psychologist, played by Kate Blanchett, Lilith, and Lilith <laughs> takes interest. I mean, there's a pivotal scene and Alex says this, quote, your mistake is that you always stick to what you're effing good at, unquote, whoa. Thank you for unquoting. <laughs> <laughs> And then there's the great Ben Mendelsohn, a non-singer who sings the way Russell Crowe should have as Javert. <laughs> Why watch that as a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head to head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. Well, nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome, Welcome to, to Why, Why Watch, watch That. that. Critic? Yes. Critic! What? Have you heard? We just got a buy me a coffee page. <laughs> What's that? Boy, come on. It's a place where listeners can support our work for as little as $5. $5. Pretty much the price of a coffee. I don't drink no coffee. What you talking about? Well, you don't drink anything but water <laughs> and eat raw potatoes. But... <laughs> I guess they can buy you a popcorn. How about that? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> well, everyone, look, visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash why watch that to support our work or purchase our valuable resources. Yeah, you know what? We just added the TV trackers to help you curate a collection of shows you'll love to watch. So find this and more ways to support us at buymeacoffee.com forward slash why watch that. So, Critic, are you going to buy me a coffee? Maybe. A why watch that sneak peek. We've got some sneak peeks for you all. This is going to be interesting because award season is here and it ain't playing games. And neither mm. are we. How about that? Now, Uh-oh. this sneak peeking isn't necessarily us going around to all these theaters, looking at things. It is... The streaming services are coming for blood. And so we are going to cover that. Let's start with um, Apple TV Plus's Swan Song, which has an amazing cast, by the way. But before we get into that, it's directed and written by Benjamin Cleary. And this is starring Academy Award uh, winner Mahershala Ali, Mm. Academy Award nominee Naomi Harris, Aquafina, Glenn Close. I mean, you can go on and on. It's a sci-fi, interesting take on letting love last forever and living forever. So, mm, mm. I don't know. But letting let's, love uh, last forever. Yes, it's a lot of alliteration. <laughs> That's right. Uh, what is this about? And is this something that... Uh, We'll be enjoying this holiday season as it comes out on the 17th. Mm-hmm. Just... Uh, well, to start, here's a question for you. Do you tell your wife that you're dying? Or 
do you replace yourself with a clone whose genes have been altered to remove the possibility of developing the very terminal illness that's killing you? Mm. Okay, that's a lot happening. So that's what Cameron, played by Mr. Mahershala, has to decide, and he can't have it both ways. Okay, so it can't be that you tell your wife and you have a clone. (laughs) One or the other. Also, he has to consider that this would be just the third time that the company run by Glenn Close's Dr. Scott has done this procedure. Now, he also has a young son and potential for more kiddos. Hmm. Plus, his wife, Poppy, played by Naomi has already experienced enough loss. Uh Uh-huh. But what happens to the original Cameron if he agrees to activate his clone? How can he approve of such a thing? How Mm. could he know what to approve and what will be the consequences for himself, for his family? There are always unforeseen consequences, as we know. I mean, imagine the loss and sacrifice that this decision would require. Plus, what about that clone? How will he react to being just as much of Cameron as the original? Oh, 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 oh. yeah. Now, writer-director Benjamin Cleary in this film depicts what I would call a plausible, augmented reality, AI-dependent near-future world with ease, actually. I really did enjoy that. But here's the thing, after Moonlight, is it good to have Mahershala and Naomi back together again? You, you, and I, well, yes. (laughs) Okay, I was like, uh, why are we thinking about this? There's an inviting warmth and chemistry this time, Raph, to their relationship that a lot of people are gonna find comforting. Also, Mahershala on his own, does delicately nuanced work here. But as the film progresses and he's backed into a corner, he goes there. Not all the way, but just enough. Plus again, you got Glenn Close, you can't go wrong there. You got Aquafina, of course. And Aquafina is in the role of the cloning patient before Cameron, who serves as his confidant during the entire process. And then there's others in the cast. I mean, why not to all of this? This is a smooth sci-fi drama that starts by gently questioning and tugging at the heartstrings of what makes us human. But then it slowly and successfully unravels just a bit as Cameron and his clone, along with the doctor who made him, face competing interests, leaving us with this question, where and how does it all end? So if you're looking for something more serious to watch together with loved ones during the holidays, this will be a solid choice. It won't knock you over, but it will make you feel like time has slowed down a bit. You'll have just a moment to think and breathe. And there's just enough of a jolt during its second half to keep you engaged without going overboard. Also, as the first film that Mahershala has produced, I would say this is a good representation of what his artistic sensibility seems to be. Well, there you have it. And again, Swan Song sounds like it needs to be enjoyed at home. If that is your thing, if you want to be cozy or if you want to go out and venture out into the theaters, Mm -hmm. you can do so and just prepare yourself for a more serious uh, take on um, a love story. 
So here we go with Nightmare Alley. I mean, everybody and their mom is in this. And (laughs) we are certainly anticipating. We love um, Guillermo del Toro, who both wrote and directed this along with Kim Morgan. It's based on uh, William Lindsay uh, Gresham's novel. And it has literally, if, if an actor has even been considered for an award, they're in this. <laughs> We've got the cast being led by Bradley Cooper. I love I love it. It's Bradley Cooper. I always call him Brad Cooper. But mm-hmm. Kate Blanchett, Tony Collette, you know, two Aussies, Willem Dafoe, Richard Jenkins, Runa Marnie, Ron Perlman, you know, David Strathern, uh, Strathern uh, Mary uh, Steenburgen. You even have Clifton Collins Jr. and Tim Blake Nelson. Yes. What? Kim Beaver? Like, it's just on and on. You've got tons of people in this and you will mm. recognize or maybe not recognize some of these people um, <laughs> as this what it I means called Nightmare Alley. So it's a, you know, yeah. definitely not a Christmas feel good movie. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's also, you know, like a remake and okay. And look, Tim Blake Nelson comes in at the end. Uh, mm. Now, let's start with this. Here's a question You are burying a body in a house and you burn the house down. Okay. Why? Whose body is it? That's how we start. And Bradley Cooper plays Stan. He's the one doing the burning. He winds up, you know, getting involved with some carnies. That's a carnival, if you don't know. Yes. Mm -hmm. They teach him their trade. How you manipulate. But... One carny in particular, played by David Strathair and Pete, who's uh, hooked up with Tony Collette's character, Xena. Okay. Now they're the ones who really take him in and you'll see how Xena introduces herself to Stan. Oh, oh dear. But they are mentalists. Hmm. And Pete in particular says, okay, stick with the mentalism stuff. Don't go into the spook stuff. Meaning, oh, you know, spirits and, you know, bringing people back from the dead. Watch out. It's very dangerous. Also, be careful. Because if you learn these secrets and you start deceiving other people, it can turn dangerous for you if you begin to believe that you have the power for real. Ruh-roh. But here's the thing. As he's being trained by them, and there, of course, are others. Willem Dafoe's character, Clem, is really in charge, shows him something very disturbing about how to coerce someone into doing something very demeaning. Mm. So all of that's happening. Well, he also encounters Rooney Mara's character, Molly. And what happens between them? Is it love at first sight? Can you trust what you're seeing? So the two of them branch out on their own. Why? How? To where? Mm. And as they do, as they uh, climb the ladder of success, what happens when they encounter a well-connected and suspicious psychologist played by Kate Blanchett? Lilith. And Lilith (laughs) takes an interest 
in Stan in particular and introduces him to the wealthy and powerful. Can he resist the temptation to grab everything he can? Will he even know when he's over his head? And if he does know, will he be able to extricate himself? What kind of nightmare are we all in for? It's in the alley. Well, it is. <laughs> Let's talk about this alley. Okay, now wait a minute. So Kate Blanchett shows up about an hour into the film. Oh. Yes. And that's when I was like, oh, this is now what it's supposed to be. And it's not only because, I mean, Kate is the very embodiment of film noir. Okay. Yes, yes, true. Not not just that, but also by then, Bradley's character, Stan, has power to lose, and she poses the threat. The stakes are were clear to me finally in about, a, it took an hour. Mm. Now, the first hour, a Stan's learning how to grift, as I was saying. Uh, I, th- I think that should have been cut in half. That way, the mm. momentum of that section could have reached a crescendo when Blanchett appears instead of her appearance seeming long overdue. That's how it felt. Um, I would say it is filmmaking, though, through and through, the cinematography, the costumes, the set, the music, all of that stuff. And it makes sense why Del Toro would be drawn to this. Look, we know his aesthetic, Carney's mystique, the occult, all of that is him. But it's flat out too long, which keeps it from being truly haunting. Plus, when it comes to the cast, like Tony Collette, she wasn't really used here, in my opinion. Oh, wow. Hmm. Now, you go to David Strathairn and Willem Dafoe, they're showcased better. And when it comes to Bradley Cooper, uh, he's not bad. He never is. I just never believed that he loved Rooney Mara's character, which may have been on purpose, but that wasn't clear to me. Also, he couldn't quite keep up with Kate when it came to that meeting. Um, yeah. So what I would, yeah. So what I would say is, I mean, if you were, if you want to see Del Toro, if you like his work, you want to see him do film noir, you can check this out. Um, would I go to a theater? I wouldn't because it wasn't, uh, it was a little too uneven. But if you do go to a theater, you will see the work. Um, so that's, that's going to be up to you. This is a mixed thing. It's not bad. It's not all the way good. It has a little bit of something for people who have this kind of strange film noir sensibility. Well, the thing about it is, even if it's uneven, if you're a cinematic, if you're, what do they call it, cinephile, and you Mm want to see his work, because it really is to be seen, you really do need, you know, it it would be unfortunate if you watch this on your iPad or your... Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, at least a large TV. Yeah. Yeah, a large TV, because he is a filmmaker and is not shy Mm -hmm. about that. So, but that's available for everyone coming this Friday as of taping December 17th. It's in theaters. Now, when it goes into streaming and on demand, that is to be told at some Mm -hmm. point. We don't know that. But the novice, however, you can get on demand as well as in theaters on December 17th as well. This is something you got a chance to see it is uh, directed by Lauren Hathaway, and she also wrote it. It stars Isabel um, Furman, um, Amy uh, Forsyth, uh, along with other other um, people across the way. Um, when I say across the way, not necessarily across the pond, but in the in Europe, um, I'm assuming um, somewhere. I don't know where. 
<laughs> but it, it, it's it's it is American. Um, but you know, oh, you're it not is. Gonna, yeah, okay. you're not gonna know. You're not gonna know these people. Okay. Well, this mm-hmm. I a lot of these people I've seen in um, other little films. So yes, yeah. here's the here's the issue at hand. It's a it's a small thing. If you look at the poster alone, what is happening here? There's someone who is really not looking well. And again, this doesn't feel like a feel good Christmas movie, but the it has gone through some of the the journey of the festivals. So what are we what are we dealing with here? Well, we're dealing with Alex Dahl, played by Isabel. And she's an obsessive person, as you were getting to just looking at the poster. She just started school at a prestigious university, and she takes every single thing seriously. So much so that she zones out while calculating her next move, which causes her to miss what people are saying right in front of her. Now, a friend of hers reminds her, hey, wait a minute. You at the top of our high school class, remember? So you're really smart. Alex is like, um, I just worked harder than everyone else. That's not the same thing. Thanks. Whoa. Now we see evidence of this hard work via glimpses of her in her physics class. Every time there's a test, she'll take it multiple times until class is over, trying to get her best possible score. But there's a TA there, and how does she respond to all this fanaticism? Well, she, the TA that is, has strong opinions, and Dahl has strong opinions in return. Mm. But that's just a prelude to the main event. Alex is determined to join the varsity rowing team as a novice. There's that title. And she certainly wants to be the absolute best rower in general. However, there's another novice named Jamie, played by Amy Forsyth, who seems to have been born to row. And this Jamie takes no prisoners with breathless nonchalance. So whenever Alex accomplishes something, it's eclipsed by Jamie. How dare she? And that leads to these central questions. How will Alex respond to Jamie's implicit challenges? How far will Alex be pushed by her competition? And how will all of this end? What kind of madness is this? I mean, there's a pivotal scene and Alex says this, quote, your mistake is that you always stick to what you're effing good at, unquote. Whoa. Thank you for unquoting. (laughs) (laughs) When this film is focused on the rowing and Alex's obsessiveness, it's a lesson in pacing and tension building without being pushy about it. It jumps from scene to scene expertly and incorporates music beautifully to capture Alex's inner agitation. I mean, I found myself paying attention to my own breathing. It was steady, but I was paying attention. Oh my goodness. As I watched this. So it keeps you right on the edge without overdoing it in its best parts, except for the parts of the TA storyline, I would say. I like that storyline as a companion to the central rowing storyline, but not as much when it veered slightly off course. Regardless, almost everything here from the directing to the editing to the writing and the acting forms a cohesive whole. And in its best moments, nothing is out of place. Plus, it's over in about an hour and a half. Thank you. 
Mm. Also, excuse me. Excuse me. This is director Lauren Hathaway's first feature film. Oh. So here's what I'd say. If you liked Aronofsky's Black Swan and Requiem for a Dream, along with uh, Fincher's Fight Club, the novice just might be your kind of thing, as long as you're interested in something that's not quite as crazy as those films and not quite as arresting throughout its runtime. This is a much gentler trip down the rabbit hole in comparison. Well, there you have that. Let's move on to some other famous people. Yeah. Um, that because we've been talking about a you know a packed cast, and we have a new George Clooney film coming at you. Mm. Um, I think the last one he directed was of himself on that Netflix yeah. film last year that came out of him kind of being a Tom Hanks lone man <laughs> standing. Um, but now he's moved on to not directing himself. Um, but first, he directed this, and uh, J.R. Uh, Mo Ringer uh, wrote the book. But it's based on, or it's based on that. But William uh, Monahan wrote the screenplay. It mm-hmm. stars Ready brum, 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 Ben Affleck. Um, for all you Gen Zers and Millennials, Ty Sheridan, um, who I'm I'm sure gets confused with Taylor Sheridan. Who, you know, I'm sure they think it's for short, uh, which is probably a little bit frustrating. Christopher Lloyd. I mean, yeah. Come on. Like, just let's stop it. Stop yeah, it. Ma- yeah, no Marty McFly, though. No Marty McFly. <laughs> um, you've got, you know, wonderful child actors coming through and, you know, other people, Lily Rap, on and on and on. Uh, yeah. Rape, excuse me. And, uh, yeah. It's George Clooney. It's Ben Affleck. I believe this is the first go, except it was reversed in. Wait, no, they were in Argo together. No, they were in something together. I can't remember what it was. But mm-hmm. um, you don't see these two often together. You see Matt Damon and George Clooney with, you know, the Ocean uh, series. You see them poking around together. But this. Um, is a nice reunion, uh, so to speak. What is really happening here? You know, it's coming out on the 17th. It'll be on Prime on the 7th. Clearly, this is a uh, awards pitch out. So what's yeah. going on here? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, George Clooney did produce Argo. Yes, um, so th- yes. it's not their first time. I knew it was Argo, but, you know, have we ever mm-hmm. seen them on, you know, seen them directly, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't and what remember. does that look like? What does that well, look like? That's a good question. Also, just an interesting note. You know, Lily Rabe is the daughter of David Rabe, the playwright. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. oh get out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, this is, like you said, based on J.R. Moringer's memoir. Now, he's a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and novelist, okay? So keep that in mind. And we are, in 1973... Manhasset, New York. And there's a nine-year-old JR and his mom. And uh, nine-year-old JR is played by Daniel Ranieri. And his mom's played by Lily. And they move back to her childhood home to live with her father and brother and mother, who doesn't say much. I don't even know if the woman says anything. And everyone else who winds up there from time to time. But JR's mom ain't happy 
According to her, it's because her father, played by Christopher Lloyd, resents having to take care of his family. But excuse me. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Dorothy. That's her name. You're a grown woman. Okay. (laughs) And daddy's taking you in. So you need to calm down a bit. Now, regardless, grandpa is a character. You'll see. Now, in contrast, JR is quite pleased. He likes being around people. He loves his Uncle Charlie, played by Ben. And this Uncle Charlie early on tells him, uh, I'll never let you win when we play games, and I'll never lie to you. So here we go, kid. Sports <laughs> for you, I know. Writing for you, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, Uncle Charlie starts to teach JR the rules of being a man and not a deadbeat or a drunk. While they hang out at the Dickens Bar, that's where Uncle Charlie's in charge. And Dickens is short for Charles Dickens, by the way. What does that mean? Mm. But where's Dad? The radio DJ. JR always is, is listening for his father. Does he show up? In what state? Why isn't he in this child's life? Now, there's another timeline. It's 1982. JR is off to try to get into Yale. That's what his mom has always wished for him. And this whole thing changes his life. This whole process he starts going through. He meets people, especially a specific person. And he has the opportunity to realize his dream of being a writer. But can he retain who he is? Will he still be the man his family helped to cultivate? Well, we know he's on the road to a Pulitzer. I said that. But does he know? Also, what kind of people must they be to have produced someone like JR in these circumstances? Mm. Now, for the review, look, the cast is wonderful. Yeah. Little Daniel seems- playing JR, little Daniel. The, at the, the beginning, ref, the beginning of the movie, he's riding along with Lily. They're driving, you know, to live with grandpa and, and uncle. And she turns off the radio. The look he gives her. <laughs> <laughs> like from the beginning, because I watched this with my brother. We were both like, uh-oh. <laughs> Don't mess with that kid. And then there's Ty Sheridan, who plays Jr. when he's in 1982. Yeah. Great. You have Christopher Lloyd doing his stuff. Ben Affleck. Let me tell you something. He's having a year. Great. The last duel in this, I think he's doing some of his best work. What I loved about what he did here was you could tell he was enjoying himself and he connected to the character. So he, I think when he is enjoying himself as an actor, it's something to see. I'm telling you, this may be his best work in this movie. It's also helpful not to do so many, so many, you know, directing, producing, writing, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. It's helpful, yes. for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, look, this is the uncle everybody wants. It, it was just really well done. You even have Max Casella popping up. Uh, <laughs> you'll see at the bar. And Lily Rabe is there, you know, doing her thing. I mean, this is a classic coming of age story that you can watch with multiple generations. I would just, you probably can't go too young, though. That's what I would say. Um, It's pleasant to watch with a nice vintage look, feel, and humor. 
and it moves along and has a nice lived-in quality. The characters seem like people I'd like to know. So it's a trick back in time that doesn't rewrite any rules, but so. And are some of the time jumps unnecessary? Yeah, but I was like, so? Could they spend a little more time on some things? Yes. And the point is this. There are a lot of lines that ring true with humor, clarity, and rhythm. They nail how men relate to men, which, as my brother said, is what this is really about. And Clooney gets this world, and some of the sharp edits here are absolutely wonderful. Plus, in the midst of all that, the women have their say. It's just not the only say. So what I would say is, if you're thinking, should I watch this? Think of it this way. It's a more grown-up movie version of The Wonder Years, the original. Okay. Well, you know, it helps that both Clooney and, and Ben have been Batman. <laughs> no, that probably did not help, in fact. <laughs> well, let's conclude this sneak peek um, venture with, you know, one of our di- favorite directors. I mean, you, you yeah. just, you know, but lately hit and miss. Just being, you know, sometimes. I like we- The Darkest Hour. I, I like that a lot. <laughs> I liked it. Joe Wright, who directed um, the new uh, uh, Cyrano. Oh. Cyrano. Um, depending on how you want to look at it, um, this is something that's coming out on the 17th, but you're going to have to wait until the 21st of January. And, and then it's going to be in select theaters. So, yeah. you know, really, it's, you know, if you're in the awards in, thing, on the yeah. West, yeah, if you're on the West Coast, You'll be able to see this immediately. Um, if you're not, then hold on. However, <laughs> we want to talk about this. Uh, well, first of all, Joe Wright, amazing Joe Wright, directed this. Uh, Erica Schmidt uh, helped write it. You know, it's based on a play by Edmund uh, Rostan. It has a cast that I have mixed feelings about. You know me in this. In one oh of the my particular. goodness. Stop, stop, <laughs> Haley stop. Bennett um, is playing Roxanne, of course. And then Peter Dinklage is yeah. playing the uh, titular character, as you like to say, the um, yes. the namesake. Ben Mendelsohn. You, you love Ben. You just, oh. you and Ben. I don't know <laughs> about the two of you guys. I think if you met him in person, you would... You would have mixed feelings of like, oh my gosh, you're amazing, but the sum of the work that you do is whoa. <laughs> and not to leave out another whoa person that if I met this person, I oh think my goodness, here we go. So many roles. I Kelvin, you know, you're amazing. Seriously, if you ever listen to this, which I hope you don't. Kelvin <laughs> Harrison Jr., who is an amazing actor who's been doing some pretty risky work. I mean, he uh pretty. He, <laughs> He, you know, it's risky in a good sense. He's, he, you could tell yeah. that he definitely likes to do work. Yes. And unfortunately, like the last couple of works, he's played people that I would literally mm. cross the street if I see him. So, you know, I need to see him in a nice role, which I'm assuming this is going to be helpful for him to build that confidence back up. But John Locke, <laughs> all I can say is get, you know, when you're around John Locke, just, you know, make sure you are uh, prepared for uh, some doth thus said. Oh, um, oh. Okay. 
Now let's move on because I'm sure there's other people that I'm, I have definitely skipped over. Yeah. This is a famous, um, play. I saw this on Broadway with Kevin Klein. Oh. And, um, I think this is the one. And then we have that Roxanne. That was money well spent. Oh, it was great. Roxanne was the name of the Steve Martin version. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. I can't think who played opposite. I'll look it up while you're saying it was a good movie. It was really, mm-hmm. really good movie. Um, and now we've returned back to the roots of the play. But Peter Dinklage, which this is interesting of how they're going to do this. So I'm yeah. not sure if you've read the play or have seen the play, Critic. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, we've got a lot of a lot of theater coming to us. Theater and musicals coming to us to the big yeah. screen. Is this a successful transfer? Yeah, and it is a musical. So this is a musical adaptation of it. You know, oh, Cyrano- so we've got a musical. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, mm-hmm. good gracious. Well... Yeah. Well, that it's, is not prevalent in the advertisement. I I know. And, you know, when I started watching it, I was like, okay, Joe Wright, like, you kind of start watching and go, okay, kind of like Pride and Prejudice, what he did there. And then they start singing. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> is this a musical? What is going on? Because, you know, I don't read. I don't read a lot of stuff before I watch stuff. I just let the movie tell me what it is. Um, so what, what happened is they, they've done this, they did the musical on stage, Peter and Haley were in it and Erica Schmidt, who, uh, wrote the screenplay, you know, this was her musical. So that's how it's all involved. They did it at good speed. I think they did it off Broadway and then, you know, everything happened in the world that happened. Yeah. Okay. And Joe Wright and and Haley are partners in real life. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Okay. that, uh-huh. that Okay, just give me a second to process yeah. that. <laughs> Thank you. And by the way, Daryl Hannah. And uh, yeah. it was Steve Martin. And Damon Wayans was in it playing the friend. Like, oh, my. <laughs> yes. Roxanne is a great. I, go see it if you, if you want to see another take on something. But anyway, back to this. Musical. Yes. Yes. So at the start, we meet Roxanne and her chaperone. And there's an urgent question that Roxanne has got to confront. Will she marry the oily Duke de Guiche for money? Now, Roxanne, of course, is played by Haley. The Duke, in this version, is played by Ben Mendelsohn, of course. So is she going to marry him for money? She and her family need it. Or will she marry for love? Well, our young Roxanne has quite radical thoughts on the subject, but how does that fly with her chaperone? And to further complicate things, a soon-to-be soldier named Christian, played by Kelvin, spots Roxanne during one of her outings to the theater with the Duke. I mean, the trusty chaperone is in tow, of course. She's always there. And Christian instantly falls in love via song. Now, He ain't got no money. And Roxanne is way above his station. But this is a love story, y'all. So will that really get in the way? Something else does. Uh, And then, of course, we can't forget about the titular character, Cyrano de Bergerac himself. How does he fit in all of this play by Peter Dinklage? 
Well, he makes his interest during that consequential play, of course, but he does so in unconventional fashion. After all, Cyrano can't abide the fiasco of puffed up acting, which he's witnessing. It's a mockery of true art. And he'll tell you so in comical rhyme. But this is Paris during the 17th century in the midst of the Franco-Spanish War. You can't just show up and end a play, regardless of its merits or lack thereof, without serious consequences. I mean, come on. And this Cyrano is a short one. He doesn't have one ribbon upon his person either. But what Cyrano lacks in height, he makes up for in might. After all, he's a captain in the very same regiment that young Christian will soon join. However, Cyrano's virtuosic display of sword wizardry causes him to incur the wrath of the Duke, a man with all kinds of influence. Oh, oh, oh. But what of Fair Roxanne? What does she think of Christian? And what does she think of Cyrano? Because for Cyrano's part, as we all know, he loves Roxanne. I mean, at this point, he doesn't. Also, he and Roxanne aren't strangers. They've known each other for quite some time. But Cyrano always finds himself unworthy in her presence. So who's going to win Roxanne's prized hand and at what cost? Through what danger and sacrifice? Christian has the youthful looks and the chutzpah. The Duke has the money and the power. But Cyrano has the words and the bravery. Oh, what a tangled web they weave. This is a strange love triangle that's trapped inside a box. That's what I would call it. You got Cyrano, Roxanne, and Christian that form the triangle, and the Duke is definitely the box. Now look. I said it's a musical. So I'm going to start my review with the music. And I have to say that Cyrano reciting his poetry in rhythm does not a good rap make. Oh, I'm glad boy. I'm glad they dropped that early on. They did it once and then they dropped it. I mean, just have them speak without music or sing. Speaking of which, what about the quality of the singing? Mm. Well, think of it this way. If you're in a musical and you have to sing ballads, you actually need to be able to sing. Look, I like I'm over it. I'm t- <laughs> You gotta be better. You gotta be better than some rando I could find on the street. Okay? You need to be able to breathe correctly. Now, I'm all for realism when it makes sense, but not when it's an obstacle to enjoying the story. And certainly not when it comes to singing serenades sweetly. But I'll say this about Peter. When he sings, he sort of speaks his way through it which makes it easier to forgive the imperfections of his voice because the story cuts through, which is really the main thing. Kelvin, he might be the best singer in the bunch of the principal actors, that is, Mm. which doesn't mean that much, but it's clear that he's not so comfortable acting and singing at the same time. Not Mm -hmm. bad, but not quite settled in that. For Haley... There's a pretty voice in there somewhere, but not enough air to support it. And I always lost the point of what she was singing. I never could follow it. And then there's the great Ben Mendelsohn, a non-singer who sings the way Russell Crowe should have as Javert. (laughs) If you can't sing, this is how you do it. So regardless, the struggle is real for everybody in some way which is made all the more clear by the best song in the film, which is sung on the battlefield solely 
by ensemble members. So the ensemble members did a better job. Mm. Now you you will not remember any of these songs. Okay. It's like it's like one song they keep doing over and over again. I'm like, how is this different from the last one? Anyway, but outside of that, Joe Wright's directing this. We said this. It's going to be beautifully shot. Yeah, he has skill as a director. Maybe he can salvage it. Think of it this way. I'll put it this way. Stylistically, this is a blend of his Pride and Prejudice and Anna Karenina, Mm. along with a sprinkle of Les Mis and some Shakespeare. Okay? It has that kind of sensibility which is highlighted by the way Wright transitions from scenes with dialogue to the singing and the dancing. And actually, I thought some of his choices were quite right. But this would be better if it weren't a musical, because the music doesn't add anything to the story or the experience of watching it. I mean, the sword fights were better than any of the songs. So this Cyrano would work better if it were more like Shakespeare in love instead. Mm. Now, if you're going to watch this, here's what I'd say. Watch it if you wouldn't mind seeing Cyrano's classic uh, story be transformed into something that's on the level of what a first draft of what Late Miz might have been, but with talking and a lot less singing. Well, there you have it. That's our sneak peeks. You can take a look at those things. Most of them are coming out this Friday, but some of them are very, very select theaters in select towns so you're really gonna have to fish around or maybe even just wait thanks for listening for additional resources visit whywatchthat.com good idea and we'd love to hear from you so go ahead and leave comments feedback and you can rate us on itunes we'll see you next week see you